Hey guys, welcome to the Bowhunting Soul Podcast. Um, today, I have a, a very special guest, a guy by the name of Harmon Carson. You guys uh, probably heard of him before. He's been on a bunch of other podcasts, and he's got a really popular uh, YouTube channel called The Bayou Bowhunter. He uh, lives in Louisiana. He's a taxidermist by trade, and um, he's just a straight-up killer. I mean, uh, deer, hogs, you know, pretty much anything else down there. He does some out-of-state trips. We didn't even get into talking about his out-of-state uh, trips. He goes elk hunting um, uh, and, and antelope hunting. He went, he went for antelope this year. I know he's gone some on some elk hunting trips and things like that. So um, really fascinating guy, really cool, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. He um, he, he has a very, um, I, don't, I don't know about unique, but I think he's got a very good ability to find deer and uh, find sign in, in areas where it's really, really difficult to do so. So pay special attention to, um, to, to that when we talk about that, because a lot of what he hunts is a lot of times underwater, uh, a lot of swamps, cypress swamps that kind of lead into, um, uh, you know, oaks, different types of oaks and things like that. So any kind of, you know, finding any kind of sign and following it, uh, especially for one particular deer, uh, that you're after is, is pretty difficult when half of it's underwater. So, I mean, he's really, really good at it. I mean, he's got some pretty, pretty unique strategies. And, uh, I thought, you know, I, I definitely learned, uh, you know, learned quite a bit. I thought it was pretty fascinating. So anyway, um, this, uh, the conversation was really good and some other, uh, little bit of housekeeping over here is, um, uh, the best way to, uh, support this podcast, if you like the podcast is to leave a rating. Ratings are really, really important. It's super easy to do, um, and uh, it, it helps the you know all the podcatchers and things like that get us higher up in the rankings so other people can see it and share this podcast. If you like it, you know, mention it on social media. Mention it. To, I don't advertise any. You know, I don't pay anything. I don't pay for advertising. I don't pay for you know any of that kind of stuff. So um, this is all just word of mouth. So if we want to grow this and. Um, uh, and I definitely do, then uh, I'd really, really appreciate you guys just kind of word of mouth, spreading the word, saying, hey, here's a podcast. And, you know, you may or may not like it. If they don't like it, that's fine. You know, no big deal. Still going to keep doing what I'm doing. But um, ratings are important. And uh, being able to share this is, uh, is important. And uh, also go ahead and definitely, if you're not watching any of the YouTube videos, go check out the YouTube channel. Uh, it's also called Bowhunting Soul. I got a lot of uh, reviews and how-tos and, uh, you know, general vlog kind of stuff out there, but a lot of them are like how-tos and, and things like that and some products. And another way to actually, a couple other ways to support the channel um, is one, we have a, uh, a Teespring site. So if you're looking for some uh, bow hunting uh, related uh, uh, t-shirts, we're on Teespring, that's T-E-E spring.com slash bowhunting soul bowhunting soul is the the storefront that's there uh got a you know got got a bunch of designs on there so they're, they're pretty sweet t-shirts I, I like them i wear them so <clears throat> and um another way that is absolutely free to uh kind of show some support for the channel is those videos that i was talking about on youtube if you go to those if you go to those videos on like 90 percent of them in the description um, you know what you got the little arrow on the right hand side that kind of drops down um, the you know what what this video is about where all the text is well underneath all just drop that down underneath all that you'll see some links now I'm an affiliate with Amazon meaning um, that if you go and click through any of those links whatever I'm talking about let's say I'm talking about a uh, you know a knife or a bow or uh, you know um, the last one I did uh, was like a night eyes um, uh, night eyes, uh, cam jam, you know, kind of thing. I I anything. If you click on that and you go to Amazon 
and if you purchase anything through Amazon, then I get a bit of a commission back. And we're talking pennies here, but again, every little bit helps. And this doesn't cost you a thing, and you don't have to do anything extra other than actually go through one of my videos and go through that link. Um, you don't have to buy whatever it is I'm talking about. So uh, if I'm reviewing, let's say, like an $800 bow, and I put a link to it, and you click on it, and you, even if you don't buy the bow, that's fine. And you you go buy, you know, what I always give the kind of joking um, uh, example of even if you go buy a pack of Sharpies, right, then I still get commission for the fact that you went through my link. That was for a bow, even though you didn't buy the bow, but you went through my link and you bought something else um, through Amazon. So that that greatly helps. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get better equipment, um, trying to get uh, better audio. You can You can definitely tell... Uh, trying to record on this and trying to record on the on the microphone that I have that I can actually um, that this right now that I'm recording on is just a microphone I can't hear myself right now it's the, it's it's like the best thing that I have right now as far as sound but if, if I want to actually do a podcast with guests and call-ins and things like that then um, you know I need to upgrade the uh, the headsets and things like that so I'm just trying to save up for stuff like that so that's definitely going to help if you go if you guys go and uh, show some love that way it'd be uh, you know really really appreciated it doesn't cost you any extra any extra money so anyway um, enough uh, enough begging for money I just thought I'd bring that to you guys to you guys's attention because a lot of people don't know that that's that's how that works so uh, anyway Hope you guys' seasons are doing good. I'm going to do another podcast uh, shortly here where I'm going to do like a mid-season uh, kind of update and uh, kind of, you know, my my final or semi-finalized uh, pack and what I'm carrying and that kind of stuff. So that's going to be all combined into one. I'll do that in a separate podcast. I hope you guys' are seasons are doing really good. Um, I'm unsuccessful so far, but I'm going to keep uh, keep keep trucking on and keeping at it. So anyway, without further ado, uh, let's get right into the episode with Harmon Carson. All right, so, all right, we're recording. So, uh, welcome to the Born with Old podcast. Uh, today, I've got another special guest. You've probably heard of this guy if you, you know, followed uh, any kind of uh, social media or any kind of uh, bow hunting or traditional bow hunting. Uh, today we have uh, Mr. Harmon Carson. How you doing, Harmon? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate the. Uh, uh, I, I appreciate you being able to, you know, to come on. I know we've been ca- kind of talking about this for almost months, you know, and then you got, you know, you got, you got, <laughs> you, got you got super busy with all your awesome trips and stuff that you go on. So, um, I guess. Uh, you know, people have, have listened to you on, on other podcasts, you know, and I've certainly listened to you on other podcasts and I've been kind of following you on, on social media and, uh, man, I mean, you were, you were like to just slaying them, you know, whether it's, it's deer or pigs or anything like that. But before we get into, you know, the, the nitty gritty like that, for those who haven't heard, uh, why don't you tell everybody, you know, where, you know, where you live and then what you do for a living. Yeah, um, so I live in northwest Louisiana. Uh, it's in a little town called Halton, um, and I'm out in the country. I grew up on a farm, and I, when I I moved out, I, I made sure I found somewhere that was not in the neighborhood. So I'm, I'm living on a dead-end street, basically surrounded by trees, so it's pretty pretty awesome. I, I have neighbors, but they're quiet, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I I am a uh, I'm a taxidermist, uh, full time taxidermist. Um, I just started. Um, this is my third season uh, as a full time taxidermist. It's just something I've done uh, on the side as a hobby. 
and uh, it's just developed into uh, being a full-time full-time job now. So it's uh, it's pretty neat. And it's a new life taxidermy, is that right? Correct. Yeah, okay. All right. That's 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 what I thought. Now, um, listeners to this podcast, I think will and, and you and I just talked about this before we started recording. We'll say, you know, um, in, in the past, I've kind of just been really indifferent about taxidermy, right? I've, I've kind of been like, well, I don't really get it. You know, um, you know, I, I, you know, these things like cost a lot of money and this and that. And, uh, you know, but, but I think, you know, the more I look at some of the stuff and I know, um, the, the more I know how much like work actually gets, goes into making, you know, some of these mounts and, and, and preserving, you know, these memories and stuff like that, the more intrigued I am. So I've, I've, I've got some questions, but I do want to get into yeah. taxidermy. Um, you know, maybe just a little bit later, uh, I guess what I really want to dive into first, I wanted, wanted to cover a, f- a few things, but what I want to dive into first is, you know, what, what do you hunt down there? Like, what are your, what are your seasons and, and what are you like most, I guess, uh, quote unquote famous for hunting? Well, I, I, uh, I've always been one that if there's a season open, I'm probably going to be hunting whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but mainly, mainly I, I hunt, uh, whitetail and, uh, pigs we have a a plethora a a massive hog problem down here in the south and uh this particular area of louisiana i'm in it's just it's outrageous the amount of pigs that we have and uh it's really truly an explosive like anything you see on media it's probably like you pick the worst worst thing you could find about pigs and what we have is probably worse than that like it's it's really hard to describe um the damage that they they cause but Anyway, mainly, mainly what I hunt, uh, down here in Louisiana is hogs and, um, and deer. And that's the two main animals that I focus on. I do just a teeny tiny little bit of duck hunting. I squirrel hunt a little bit. I rabbit hunt a little bit. I'll coyote hunt. But the main things I chase are white-tailed deer and hogs. And, um, so it's, it, the, the hogs are something that you're able to hunt year round. Um, so nice. you can, in the summertime, you can actually hunt them at night. Um, they, they try to get everybody on board, kill them. There's no limit on them. You kill as many as you can. There's no size, no nothing. Like, they're, we just have a problem with them where yeah. they're trying to get, guys, knock them back. And then the deer, uh, we can kill six deer a year, deer in season. Season Ooh. starts October 1st. Um, it goes from October 1st to January 31st. And, uh, we can kill six deer a year. We can get, uh, it's two bucks, three does, and one either sex tag. Okay. So, uh, and then the bucks, there is, in the majority of the state, there are no uh, size restrictions and or restrictions on the bucks. So it doesn't matter. You can kill three spikes. You can kill three full points. You can kill a 10 point. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Hmm. Um, and then we have a really long, uh, rifle season, like nearly a three month long, two two months for sure, uh, rifle season, and uh, so it's our, our our animals down here get hammered. The whitetail down here get hammered really hard. Now, can really you really high pressure hunting? Can you can you bow hunt deer during the rifle season as well? Is it like you know, um, uh, oh, yeah. congruent with one another, or do you have to like stop one or? No, no. Luckily, it's it's a uh, once shoot. If that was the case, there would be no bow season. <laughs> Because um, we have our, our bow season starts October first, and the third week of October, muzzleloader or primitive gun starts, and uh, our primitive gun 
now includes 38 wheelers and 45 so I mean it's basically you're shooting a rifle um, and then and then gun season starts and it goes all the way until the second week of January so really you get three weeks of bow um, or I think it's like two weeks of bow at the front of season and then one full week of just bow hunting at the very end of season uh, other than that there's some sort of gun going on from mid-October to mid to late January and uh, luckily you can bow hunt during all of that now what's the what's the hunting pressure like uh where at least at least where you are you said you're northwest louisiana you said yes and i, I don't know what the the hunter density is but it's i know it's it's ridiculous like it's really really high uh public land is really really frustrating in any part of the state um there's just tons of people um like i said and everybody shoots everything mm-hmm. um so it's it's really difficult to you know try to find mature bucks or, or to let younger bucks walk knowing that it's going to walk across the property line and get blasted. Right. Um, you know, and then, and then as far, even, even the way the tracks of land layout, you have, uh, it's a lot of small tracks of land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have like 40 acres, 60 acres, then you'll have, you know, scattered in 200 acres, 300 acre blocks. And then you'll have these big leases that are, you know, 800 to 1500 acres that are leased up with a bunch of people. Cause it's, it's mostly hunting lease properties where you have, you know, a group of guys going together and paying money to lease a big block of property. Uh, other than that, there's not a lot of public land hunting opportunities across Louisiana. There, really? there are opportunities. There's just not a lot of opportunities for public land. So are you involved in any kind of like a hunt club or anything like that down there? Or do you, are you just strictly public land where you can find it then? I am, I am, uh, uh, mixture so i am uh i hunt public land a good bit but i also have um family land that i hunt Mm -hmm. uh like i said i grew up on a farm and uh, my family has some uh property and then we have we have land that we lease for cattle and uh, we are able to hunt those cattle leases and some of the land that we lease for hay uh we have some of that leased as well so it's those blocks, it's family run, uh, so it's, you know, there's not a lot of people hunting it, and we're able to manage our property well, uh, and, you know, we're not shooting small, we're not shooting young bucks, uh, we're letting them grow, and so we're able to see see good growth, see mature bucks come off of it pretty pretty consistently, um, and then, uh, again, I do hunt, I hunt public a pretty good bit, but it's it just kind of depends on where I'm at. Um, the time of year, what's going on, is to, or, and really, honestly, it depends on what deer I'm finding. So I'm, I like to target specific deer um, rather than just going out there and hunting. I'll try to find mature bucks, mm-hmm. and I, if I'm lucky, I'll find a mature buck in the summertime, and I'll stay on top of that deer throughout uh, the summer as best as I can. And wherever the biggest buck is, or I'm sorry, not necessarily the biggest buck, but the most consistent uh, mature buck that's where I'm going to be hunting. And it doesn't matter whether it's private land or public land. Uh, if I can find a, ma- a consistent mature buck, that's where I'm going to be. Okay. Um, I want to come back to that real quick, but um, what you just said about your, uh, your, your, your cattle lease, uh, the, um, the land that you lease and stuff like that. Um, and, and the whole pig problem, I can understand, you know, as, as a landowner, then, uh, you know, they, they must be kind of, uh, you know, devastating, not only just, you know, for natural resources, but you know, financially too, correct? Oh yeah, 
so we we don't do when I say farming, we're it's it's a very very small operation where it's mainly just cattle, mm-hmm. um, and it's not even just. I mean, there's not a, a ton, but we you know it's just a small farm. But um, we do cut hay, so we have hay fields. And one day, you know, you can go out there and cut a hay field or rake hay or whatever one one day, and then a couple of weeks later, you go out there and it's like somebody's trying to to put in a, a swimming pool out mm-hmm. there <laughs> like like they up everything dug a hole that you could lose a four wheeler in you know yeah yeah i mean i i've, I've hunted pigs in, uh, in in florida you know not with a bow but you know i've done i've done like the you know i've done a couple um you know spot and stock kind of places but mostly it's like the like the pick your pork kind of places you know i mean let's make no bones about it it's over a feeder and you, you know you show up with your rifle shoot them at 20 yards and go home with the cooler full of meat kind of thing you know but i mean i do you know, I, I do see um, the, the just the rooting and the devastation and stuff they do to, you know, like the big swaths of area. Like I've hunted public land down there, too, with my buddy and some of the WMAs. And you definitely know when you come across a, a pig uh, wallow, you know what I mean? It's just just tore up for like, you know, 100 yards oh, yeah, at a time, big swaths. Oh, yeah. Now, is that any danger to the cattle, too, for them stepping in and like snapping, you know, bones or anything like that or? No, not not typically. I mean, no. it's that that that's not the issue um, in terms of cattle or right. anything. But there's a there's a couple of diseases that hogs carry that um, will transmit to deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think it transmits to cows, but I know it will transmit to deer, and it does not harm the carrier. But what it will do is it causes the does a lot of times to abort their fawns. Oh. Um, I think the name of that disease is uh, leptospirosis, um, and it's it's they did a lot of testing here the past few years, and nearly every hog they tested had uh, lepto. Oh, and, uh, we, we went for a while where our our deer population plummeted in the area where uh, where I hunt, and luckily it's come back. And like I said, I don't know I don't know the life cycle of that situation. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't. I really don't know the details of it. I just know that uh, they, they, the biologists were doing some studies on it. And they were finding uh, hogs that were carrying lepto, and uh, because populations were dropping, deer populations were dropping in areas that had high hog densities. And uh, anyway, that it seems to have leveled back out, uh, where you know everything's kind of running smooth right now. Uh, so I don't really know. I don't know if there was anything. I know there wasn't anything done mm-hmm. uh, specifically, but you know, like I said, I don't know the life cycle of any of that. It, that that is just one of the issues. That's crazy. Is that um, is that dangerous to humans at all? Is that transmissible to humans or? No, not to my knowledge. I don't. I don't think it is. Okay. Uh, I have not heard uh, of any of anything like that. I think that's one of those diseases diseases that has not jumped the uh, the barrier. You know, kind of like CWD. There's right. No. You no know, known cases. Right, right, right. No one cases where it's jumped to humans or anything like that. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, okay, so going back to uh, we, we were talking about you. Um, uh, I might have lost track there before before I took, took you on a tangent there, but I think we were talking about uh, <laughs> the, the deer and then you were you were targeting specific deer. That's what it was. So uh, where where you are, I mean, is it um, when I think of Louisiana, you know, I originally thought of just like you know big you know swamps and you know just 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 swaps right and then i actually talked to uh i had had warren womack on the show 
And he's like, no, where I'm yeah. in, you know, it's, it's more like pine, you know, just kind of like pine forest, you know, a lot, a lot of needle, you know, pine needle undergrowth kind of thing, you know, big tall time pine trees. What, what's your terrain like over there? And how do you use that to, or what are the tools do you use to, to target a specific deer? Like, how do you get on this deer? And then how do you know, like, okay, this is the one that I want to, you know, follow for the next several months until I can kill him. That's a, that's a, that should be a mouthful. That's well, a, we, we can break it down. What, what's the terrain like? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, so our terrain, where I am at, I'm kind of in a mixture of everything you just described. Uh, so I, I have a lot of big bottoms, like swampy areas where uh, you go in and there's cypress knees that are taller than me. Uh, trees that, you know, are bigger around than like two four wheelers. Like mm-hmm. it, you feel like a grasshopper. Yeah. Uh, walking through the bottom of these, these swamps sometimes. And, um, and in the, in the certain time of the year, like late winter, uh, you know, when we have all these, these floods that we've had, uh, a lot of the places that I hunt will be, you know, 12 feet underwater. But mm-hmm. for the majority of the season, um, they'll just be, you know, they'll, they'll hold water. It'll be like ankle deep and then, uh, then it'll dry out for a while, and then it'll get get like knee deep, and then it'll dry. It's just like low bottom land. Yeah. And uh, and it's mostly that those areas. It's just mostly big cypress bottoms. Well, then those cypress bottoms they typically are connected with an oak bottom, and uh, and so it's like this, you know, it's like all cypress, and normally in the middle of that there's a bayou of some sort that goes through the middle, and then uh, it's because it's just a drainage is all it is. Well, yeah. Then on the outskirt outskirts of those cypress uh bottoms it's scattered like over cup acorn overcup oak trees uh red oak water oak uh, uh hickory uh, basically you have a lot of, it's it's mixed hardwoods along the edge of the cypress and in a lot of places uh the places that i hunt those those bottoms they transition into hills uh so i hunt uh i hunt a mixture of like swamp bottoms and oak, like hardwood hills. Mm-hmm. So the hills that I hunt in, they get, they can get, I mean, this is obviously Southern, like Louisiana, like Southern, uh, deep South talk. So when I'm talking major hills, I'm talking like a 40 foot tall. Hill yeah. That's okay. Like yeah. I was going to say, right. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are only like, you know, 10 foot, some of them are only 20 foot, but there's, it's just like a series of scattered ridges. Um, and that's, typically just got mixed hardwoods all over it from you know like all, all the different type of oak trees hickory uh pecan and uh and then some in it's some like places, a deer it's like a deer food buffet it sounds like yeah well <laughs> yes yes and no and the, the problem the problem with it a lot of times is that there's so many acres on the ground uh the oaks like on really good years where the uh, the acre we have mm-hmm. a really good acre crop um there's there's so many on the ground that it's really really hard. You have to do a lot of walking to really find the feature. Um, so you you go you and you you hike and you're looking for looking for you know trees that have a lot of uh, you know acorns on the ground where there's holes. Uh, the husks are, are on top and they've been busted up. You yeah. can see where they've been being eaten. There's deer tracks or there's there's droppings there. And so you have to the the on years where there's a lot. Uh, mass crop you have to do a lot of walking to really find a pinpointed spot and uh and to finding finding a feed tree is is critical 
Uh, yeah, the one, for, the one, the one or two trees like, that are actually hot right now that are being visited is what you're talking about. Instead of you know, just I guess you know, like a swath of trees or something like that, right? Is that what you're talking about? What one more time? I'm sorry. Sorry. So you're you're looking for like the one particular tree that they they exactly. seem to be hitting, in, you know, rather than you know. A, in any area full of, you know, like, like you said, water oaks or, or white oaks, whatever it is kind of thing. So that pinpointing that exact tree and being within bow range of that tree. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I, I try to do that. Um, now if I can find, if I can find a swath of trees, uh, like in a, a good transition area, like, so, and it just kind of depends. And I'm, I'm describing a specific location, but where if you have a, hills that drop down and the hill there might be thickets up in the hills and then it drops down uh to a cypress bottom but along that transition sometimes there'll be a stretch of oak trees you know and that's just a it's a natural transition that you look at topography and then you get there and there's actual food that's kind of scattered out uh it's just kind of got the best of uh, a bunch of different you know scenarios so uh that's a place that i look at but otherwise if you're just talking about walking across the bottom uh, i'm trying to find the tree and uh, normally what's going to signify that is you will find multiple piles of droppings mm-hmm. underneath uh, or within a small area uh, around one tree or a clump of trees you'll find multiple droppings you'll find a lot of uh, tracks underneath one tree um, you know where the ground is really being torn up um, and used to honestly before we had hogs because uh, we haven't always had hogs mm-hmm. Uh, before we had hogs, man, it was so much easier to find a good bee tree. And now the hogs, they'll come in an area and just totally wipe everything. Like there won't even be any leaf debris on the ground in some areas. Wow. Like there's some areas where there should be like six inches of leaves. Yeah. And there's been hogs in there so much where it's almost bare dirt now. It's just and, all uh, trampled in it, like. It's in, totally in, bizarre. Yeah. Wow. That's, that, that, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, I hear about, you know, the, the effect that it has on deer populations when, you know, hogs move in you know but it's uh i, I guess you're kind of like the first person i've talked to that's had like firsthand you know firsthand experience with something like that um when you uh okay so part two of my question that i was asking then so you know we've got a layout of the terrain here so when do you actually start scouting um and then where do you start scouting like in all that terrain that you just explained what's the first place you go to to kind of pick up on clues like okay where you know that i can stumble onto you know a buck um, well, again, it, it depends on the terrain, because uh, really all of Louisiana, even our, when I say hardwood bottom or uh, cypress swamp bottom, it's, it's a thicket. Like there, there's a few, there, there's some places where you have oak bottoms that are just wide open. And if that's where you're at, then you just need to leave. If you can see a long ways, then don't even bother with it. That's, you yeah. know, cause our, our deer are so pressured, uh, they get, they get the thickest stuff that you can. And honestly, most of the places I hunt, I can't see any more than about 50 yards, and I hunt with my ears more than anything. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting up there, and I can see maybe 30, 40 yards, and I'm listening, trying to catch something walking before I actually see it so I can be ready. Um, sometimes I, I've, I've killed deer that I, I couldn't see until they were 25, 30 yards away. So um, so it's just uh, – it, it, the, the terrain is uh, – or the habitat uh, changes, and depending on what the habitat is, depends on what I'm looking for. Yeah. So I start in like late spring, summer, uh, and when I'm 
you know, basically when they're first starting to develop their racks, when I really start trying to find a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, once they really start developing and, you know, they get on up past their brow time, you can already tell, okay, well, that's a mature buck. You know, you, obviously you can look at the body of the animal. If you get it on camera or just happen to walk up on it or right. see it or whatever, um, you can see if it's mature or not. But that time of year, I'm looking for brows. Uh, and really from springtime all the way into uh, basically the rut, I'm looking at browsing. And uh, one reason, and I used to not do that, but one reason I started doing that is hogs don't browse. Hogs, hogs browse very, very little. Yeah. Um, I they mean, they, they will. There's certain plants that they do, but they, they root, they, they, they're, they're scavengers. And, uh, but deer, they'll go around and browse. So if I can find an area where plants are being hit hard by, you know, where, where I can see the tops of them are being nipped off, whether it's uh, honeysuckle, French mulberry, greenbrier, uh, uh, ragweed, marsh elder, like there's, there's all kinds of like maple, uh, there's, there's a bunch of different types of browsing. And, uh, if I can find an area like that, uh, then I'm going to put a, a game camera on it. I, I rely really heavily on game cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to run around and just, you know, I'd, I'd look for big tracks and heavy, you know, heavy browsing and, and feeding and traffic. And, uh, but game cameras, man, they, they, they're, they're game changers. Uh, how many are you know, running? They obviously play. One more time. How many? How many of you are you running? Uh, well, I I used to have around twenty, uh, but the the floods that we've had over the past few years have wiped out a bunch. Because <laughs> yeah. They uh, the flood comes up way too quick before, I, and I'm not able to get get to my cameras quick enough, and yeah. it's it's killed them. Um, but I'm I think right now. I remember right. I have 11 right now. Okay. Man, I, I, and, uh, I just bought my, like, first one, like, a, a several weeks ago. You know what I mean? I was, you yeah. know, I'd, I'd never been into them. And I thought, man, it's just one more thing to get obsessed. You know, I don't need to know what deer is doing every last little second. But and I only have, like, one camera, right? And it's, like, a cheapy, like, Tasco one that I bought on sale at Walmart just, just to kind of dip my toe into it. And I can I can, I can, yeah. can see how it can get addictive. <laughs> yeah, it gets, it gets super addictive. And, uh, what, what it does for me is a, it's a time saver. Right. Um, it's a, it's a, well, one, one, it's a time saver. So obviously when I go out and I check cameras, basically it eliminates spots for me. So I'm like, okay, if there's no, cause I'm, I am, I'm very specific about the type of deer I, I'm, I'm trying to hunt. Um, like I'm, I'm hunting mature bucks. I'm not just going out there to kill a deer. If I was just going out there to kill a deer, um, you know, I wouldn't even worry about cameras. Yeah. Like just going out there to kill a deer wouldn't be that big of a deal. But I'm trying to target mature bucks, um, so I'm I'm very specific, very methodical with what I'm doing. So um, I'll go into an area, try to find a buck, and that's part of the reason why I have so many cameras. Is so like throughout the summer, I use uh, what I call like a shotgun approach, where I put cameras just I spread them out real wide all over the place, and I'm just trying to pick up a mature buck. And, uh, and as I as I pick up mature bucks throughout the season, then I start consolidating my cameras, and I'll start focusing my cameras on specific areas, trying to pinpoint a specific buck's travel route. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, this buck, this is where he feeds, this is where he travels, this is how he likes to go, he does this on these days, he does this on this days, and, uh, you know, trying to trying to figure out where he's coming from, where he's going, what he likes to do. 
and it sounds crazy, but a lot of times you can figure out the personality of a deer. Um, they, they have personalities kind of like dogs would. Yeah. Um, so some are real laid back and, you know, they'll, they'll let you get away with a lot of different, you know, things, whether it's putting, you know, having too much scent out there, you know, have a little bit too much pressure. Um, and then you have other deer who are like, you know, all but schizophrenic where you, you know, you're, you're not, you know, you, you breathe in their direction and they're gone. Yeah. Uh, and so you kind of get an idea of what areas you can get away with more and what areas you need to be really, really careful because of the deer. Um, and so I'll focus off as, as the summer progresses, I begin consolidating my cameras and really start focusing because I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So I'll find multiple mature bucks and try to keep tabs on multiple bucks. That way if one, uh, if one gets spooked or gets killed or hogs move into that area and totally push him out, um, then I still have other deer to go hunt. And I'm not like, well, I've spent all my time chasing this deer and now he's gone. What do I do next? Right. Um, so that's that's a big part of it. But, but, but it does... Sorry, go ahead. That many... Do what? No, go ahead. I was saying another reason why I use cameras is, like I was saying earlier, our... It is so thick in Louisiana, we don't have the luxury of saying, okay, well, I'm going to go glass. Right. Like, that just doesn't happen in Louisiana. Like, yeah. you, you cannot effectively go look and, and have eyes on your area without messing up your deer, like, without blowing everything out of there, mm-hmm. leaving sin everywhere, letting the deer know that you're there because everything is a thicket. So, I'll, find, I'll go into an area, find what I'm looking for uh, at the time, whether it's beds, rubs, food, um, you know, what whatever for that area of the time of year that I'm looking for and I'll put up a camera and then I'll back out and uh, that way, you know, it, it just makes it easier where I'm not always in there uh, looking around and the cameras kind of help me uh, figure figure out where I need to be based on based on that without alarming the deer being in there. Now, what, what would be the minimum amount of time that you would leave a camera for? Because I ran into this. I just pulled a camera today and I only left it out there. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of experimenting here. I, I only left it out there for like a week, okay. And I know a lot of people might seem like that's that's no time at all, but um, this isn't an area where it does get you know like other like human traffic, let's say, or at least nearby. You know what I mean? So I thought I could get away with it because I hunted it last last Tuesday, I believe, and I got nothing today, right? Zero. So what's the minimum amount of time that that the you uh, would leave? Like let's just say like a camera. Like, I know you run, you run multiple, but if you're going to run like one camera and like, hey, I really want to know what's going on right here with this particular one, what's the minimum a minimum amount of time that you leave before you go back and check it? Um, to be perfectly honest, I check my cameras as often as possible. I, I used to have a area where I, I was able to check my camera nearly every single day, and I would. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Like I would only I would only go in. Uh, there, there were some times that I would I would slip in. Now this is. I'm very low-key when I go in the woods. Like, I don't talk loud. I don't make loud noises. I slip in. I don't touch anything. Um, like, I've walked in on deer in their beds, and they look at me like, where did you come from? And I'll <laughs> you just don't out here. go around them. And uh, do what? Yeah, yeah, you don't belong here. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, uh, and so, like, you know, like, I'm, I'm very conscientious about how I move through the woods. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very low-key about it. So, um the, the other, like, I, so every every few days, if I can check a camera every few days, that's ideal for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, for a couple of reasons, one, deer transition so much throughout the year, especially once season actually gets started. 
Uh, there are more transitions during hunting season. Um, and I want to be on top of those transitions and say, okay, well, this fight's no longer worth my time. I need to move on and figure out where the deer are. So yeah. um, that's one reason why I'm, I move. I'll, I'll move and I'll, I'll check it as frequently as I do. On the, the other, one of the other reasons is I actually want my scent in the area just a little bit. Um, I, I'm, and like that sounds totally backwards of what a lot of people do, but I want it to where like there's just enough of my scent in the area to where if I'm hunting in there and that animal picks up my scent, for, I don't want him to pick up my scent necessarily for the first time mm-hmm. and be like, whoa, what is this? And freak out. If he's been picking up my scent for the past month or two, just off, you know, faintly, obviously, mm-hmm. um, just picking it up faintly. If he happens to smell me while I'm hunting, then it might give me just a split second, you know, shot opportunity or might make him be like, oh, I know that guy. I've been smelling him, you know. Yeah. And obviously you can't get away with that with every deer, but, um, and, and I obviously try not to be smelled, period. But on the on the chance that I do, I want it to be, I don't want it to necessarily be like a total freak out moment for that deer if, if he's never smelled me. So that's part of the reason why I go in there as often. But huh. to get to your question, it depends on the time of year. So in the summertime, obviously you have bachelor groups and then you have like nursery groups where you have your does that are have their fawns and you have big groups of does and fawns or does and fawns. And there's not a lot of mixture. Every now and then, you know, for like a, a night or a day or whatever, you'll have you'll have a group of does with a random buck or two in there. Um, but for the most part, if you're in the summertime and you have cameras out and all you're getting is does and you're looking for bucks, you need to move your camera. Yeah. Because because you're in a doe spot, you're not in a buck spot. So if you're and if you move. If you get your camera in a spot, and over the course of a week or so, again, it's summertime, but if you put your camera up in a spot and you pick up a buck like once or twice during that week, what that tells you is that you are on the edge of that buck's range, but you're not in his home. Okay. So you can move that camera, but sometimes you're only having to move that camera 30 yards, mm-hmm. 80 yards. Like sometimes you're not even moving it a full hundred yards before all of a sudden you're getting that buck every other night, every night, you know, if you're lucky, yeah. if you get right in there on top of it. Um, cause some, some bucks are so consistent in the summertime, you can get pictures of them every single day um, if you just happen to, you know, catch the right area. Um, but if you're only picking him up once or twice uh, during during the, uh, the summer months, then you need to tweak your camera a little bit. Don't pull it completely. But you need to tweak it. You're you're right on the edge of his his little travel, his summertime territory, but you're not in his bedroom, basically. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And uh, so this time of year, um, they're starting to at least down here. They're just now starting to rut a little bit where I'm at. Uh, I just started finding scrapes this week. Um, like they're just now scraping. They're back now. They're still bacheloring up. I'm still getting videos and pictures of of bugs together, but they're just now kind of starting to you know, build, build their Wheaties, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, this time of year, I'll put out a camera, um, you know, put it in an area. And if I'm not getting any activity, I move it. Like I, if, if you're not getting any activity or if you're only getting one or two deer, uh, you know, in a week, I'd move it because yeah. you're not where the deer are. You're only catching them, catching them every now and then. So you, you need to be, 
like this, especially this time of year, I move that thing until I can find deer. Until I can find, until I can get daylight activity or uh, either daylight activity or mature bucks even at night. Because uh, what that just lets me know, if it's consistent, but it's at night, that just lets me know there's a good buck in the area. and He might just be nocturnal. And if I'm specifically hunting a mature buck, that just lets me know that I'm in the right area and I just have to be there when he screws up and shows up in daylight. Right, you know? right. Uh, so I don't, if I have a buck that's only nocturnal on camera, that doesn't, I mean, yeah, it's a little disheartening, but it doesn't, like, if anything, it makes me excited. I'm like, okay, there's a buck in this area that's worth shooting. He's worth hunting and he's going to mess up. He's, because the deal is once it turns daylight, they don't disappear. You know, he's somewhere in daylight. He's there, right. He's yeah. Figure out where. yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, no, this year has been kind of a, uh, a struggle. Like la- last couple of years, um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen deer, I've stumbled on deer, you know, I've missed deer, you know, and, uh, but this year I'm, I'm seeing like, like hardly anything. And I just, I think I just need to push, push a little bit deeper than, you know, where, where, where I am, you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. we, and we don't, we don't necessarily have like, you know, the swamps, like you have swamps, but I, but I hunt a lot of marshes. And, um, those marshes tend to, uh, kind of rise and flood and semi flood, um, pretty easily. And it takes forever for these things to drain. And, um, I'm noticing where I hunt, uh, just, just today I went in there to, um, to do a little bit of scouting. And then, you know, where I was hunting like last Tuesday, it's now like, like really, really mucky mud. Right. And and it's going to keep rising too until I, I don't know, it takes forever to, you know, for it to rise and then drain again. So, um, I know the deer get pushed around. And it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together. And it's been a little bit frustrating this year seeing like, like, like absolutely nothing. And, you know, I've kind of visited old places where I know I've seen rub lines and I've, you know, kicked deer out of beds and this, that, and the other. And they're, they're just like not there right now. And I don't think that it's because of pressure. I just think, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think, honestly, but that's, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm trying different areas, new areas, you know, when, when I, when I can, it's just, you know, it's getting, you know, mid-October, you don't have the time in the mornings or, you know, time after work, you know, until, you know, it gets dark kind of thing. So, um, you know, yeah. you, you, you're feeling a little bit of pressure of like, man, I just, you know, the, the, the hours on stand, you know, like how much time do I want to waste like walking into a place versus, you know, sitting, you know, somewhere else and, and just getting settled in for a while, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. Now, when you say marsh, is it, do you, is, is, are there any, like, is there food out there, or is it mostly just thickets and stuff? Well, they are. It, there, there, there's there's a lot of um, oh, there's a lot of white oaks, um, red oaks, and uh, can't remember the other one. Pin oak, I believe, is the other one. And um, I have not stumbled upon a fresh, like freshly dropping, like hot tree. Um, there's also a lot of browse. We have a lot of this like red brush kind of stuff. And if we have, I think they're locust. I think they're honey locust. I, 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 it's kind of, it looks like a bean pod, you know? Um, yeah. But it, it may or may not be. I've, I've looked it up and someone said we don't have honey locust. I'm in Minnesota, but I don't know. I think that's what it is. Um, so, so there's a lot for them to kind of browse around and eat. There's really, where I hunt, there's really nowhere for them to go to get a bunch of ag. It's not like they, they're crossing anything to get to ag. But I think they have enough right. to eat where they are. Um, j- just on that kind of stuff. And then they can go in, you know, like, like pretty far, um, into like really, really swampy, you know, deeper water to get to, you know, get the places I can't access, um, without, you know, I don't have a boat or anything like that. So, um, I, I don't know. It's kind of been, 
it, it, it's kind of been difficult. I know when we get snow, you know, I'll, I'll see, uh, I'll see tracks going out to Oak Islands and I've checked out those Oak Islands and there's nothing on those Oak Islands right now. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's almost like yeah, they can get up and turn around, you know, walk 10 feet, eat, and then, you know, sit back down again, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a issue in Louisiana a lot of times because it's so thick, mm-hmm. they don't have to travel. No. Uh, they can, they can get up and a lot of times it's so thick that they, they can all but just sit there, you know, find an oak tree that's dropping in, uh, in this thicket and just hang out in that area until the does show up, you know, and and they're not having to go out and chase, especially if the, if the buck doe ratio isn't right, you know, it'll, it'll kill your rut activity. Right, right. Um, but that's, uh. Yeah, I, I, that's what in a situation like that, I would be moving my camera a good bit. Um, you know, trying trying to find now is it is it abnormal for y'all not to have many uh, you know acres falling right now, or or do y'all is it just a bad year or what? Uh, last year was a really good year, so I I think um, this year uh, what are they like every like two three year cycles kind of thing. So um, this year, I, there, there's nothing fresh. I, I've seen a bunch of like older. Um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking they're from last year, you know, some, uh, some white acorns and yeah. stuff that fell, but I'm not, I, I, so far I haven't found any, uh, f- you know, any hot trees, you know, and that, and that's what keeps me yeah. moving. But then at this point I'm like, okay, well the white acorns, I mean, it's mid October. They're not even, I don't think they're even into that kind of stuff anymore. They've kind of moved on. Um, you know, we've got, we've got red oaks and things like that too. And I'm, I'm kind of searching for those, but either way, I'm, I'm not finding any fresh, fresh hot sun. I'm not even finding like, um, uh, you know, browse. A lot of times I'll find browse with that red brush I keep talking about. You know, I don't know if you guys have that down there, but it's kind of like this marshy, um, really thin stem, uh, you know, brush. It looks red from a distance, kind of is. So we call it red brush. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll, they'll nibble on that. They'll nibble on, you know, little maples that are growing, you know, saplings and things like that. But um, no, I think I just have to just, just keep, keep pushing deeper and just trying to, you know, different areas, I think. Oh, did I lose you? I'm losing you. Are oh, you there? There we go. Yep, I got you. Can you hear me? Hello. Yep, I'm here. You there? I can hear you. I don't know if you can hear me. No, it. it I, I probably haven't been able to hear you for about thirty seconds. Oh, okay. All right. Can, <laughs> and, you, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, yeah, we're back. Yeah, I, I can hear. You. Okay, I'll I'll just cut that part out. So, um, anyway, uh, so I guess we, we can uh, we can kind of move the conversation along to, to to your gear. Now, are you um are you are you solely um a bow hunter now? Are you, are you solely uh, do you do any rifle? Do you do any muzzle loader? Oh no, I've uh I, I started. I'm I'm 32 years old, and I started bow hunting when I was 12. By the time I went, uh, turned 16, uh, put, uh, the last time I gun hunted was when I was 16. Oh, and wow. I, I haven't picked up a rifle since then. No kidding. Deer. Yeah, so all I, all I do is bow hunting. And, uh, and in 2011, I put a compound bow down, and I haven't hunted with a compound bow. Uh, I've, I've been strictly traditional since 2011. Uh, this year, uh, on our antelope hunt, uh, I hunted with a longbow the first half of the 
week and the last three days, the weather the weather just killed our, our trip. But uh, because of because of the weather and it being the last three days, I uh, was the first opportunity we've ever had at hunting, uh, you know, antelope or anything like that. We'd never done it before. Uh, I started started borrowing uh, my dad and brother. We would interchange our, you know. Uh, compound bows mm-hmm. and I, like I have no problem with somebody shooting a deer with a compound by any means and, yeah. uh, and I don't have a bit of problem doing it I just prefer to hunt with a trad bow uh, just because of just so much more fun to me um, and I but anyway yeah so all I do I strictly bow hunt um, I'm pretty much 99.8% a traditional bow hunter yeah. uh, only in a situation like I was in this week uh, or, you know, on the antelope hunt, uh, would I, would I grab a compound? Yeah. Um, and even, even then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out there crawling around with the compound thinking, oh, I don't have my longbow, but it is what it is. <laughs> and yeah. I'm still out of not killing anything, so I don't guess it would have mattered either way. No, no, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I still, I still prefer my compound when I'm, when I'm uh, squirrel hunting. I do a lot of uh, archery squirrel hunting because it's, you know, pretty local to me. It's easy, you know, some archery only areas. And I, I just love doing it. But, you know, I, I carried my compound twice last year uh, for, for deer. And both times I wished I just was had my recurves in my hand. You know, it's like, man, I, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just is a different feeling. What are you, uh, what, what, what's your equipment? What are you shooting for a bow, uh, poundage? And then uh, tell me about your arrow setup too. Um, right right now I am shooting a, uh, a bow made up by a company down in uh, Pineville, Louisiana. It's a local Louisiana company. Uh, it's Craig's Archery, and I'm shooting their, their Falcon X2 longbow. It's a three-piece longbow. And uh, I have a 30-inch draw, wow, and okay. I am drawing the full... Yeah, I have monkey arms. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm drawing the full 30 inches with my with my trad gear. So right now, my current my current setup is a 40... It's 48 pounds and 30 inches. Okay. Um, the length of my bow is 60 inches long, um, and up until I, I, I started, I hunted with that bow last year. Uh, this will be my second season to hunt with it. Up till then, um, I've been shooting bows that were between 50 and 54 pounds, and uh, and anyway, they they made this bow for me, and uh, it it was uh, 40 48 pounds at 30 uh, 30 inches, and so I was. Uh, you know, I was wanting to try it out, see, see what's happened or, you know, see, see how I like the, the lighter poundage. And, uh, when you have a lighter poundage, you have to pay more attention to your arrow setup, yeah. uh, because you don't have as much energy. Um, and this is, this is even when you're looking at going from a compound bow to a traditional bow, your arrow becomes more important than the bow because you don't have all that extra energy that a compound has. Yeah. And so you have to be so efficient or you have to be really efficient with the energy that you do have uh, that you're producing from the, the lower bow or the lower energy bow. Yeah. Tell me um, about it. I'm, I'm shooting 40 pounds. So <laughs> one more time. I said, tell me, I said, tell me about it. I'm shooting 40 pounds, you know what? I'm shooting a 610 yeah. grain arrow, you know, so. Oh, good grief. Yeah. And see, it's, Personally, I would I would almost say that's too heavy of an arrow for yeah. a three pound bow. Uh, but that's you know there's so many different schools of thought and opinions on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, another thing is uh, our deer down here they they walk on eggshells. They're so so 
on edge. Like, they, they literally, like, I have videos, game camera videos of does walking around looking in the trees, uh, like, looking for danger, looking for, for hunters. Yeah. Um, like, they're, they're, they're walking around looking up. They're so fast. They're so just skittish and edgy. It's, it's insane. Uh, and because of that, I shoot, uh, I've typically shot a lot lighter setup than what most people do. Uh, because I'm, I like to be, every bow has a threshold. Um, you know, you, and, and I always like to be on the, the lower end of the threat. You have a low, a low threshold and a, a upper threshold. And this is, this is just my opinion to where basically you can get so heavy, you've reached the point of negative returns. And then you can get so light, you've reached a point of negative returns. Right. Um, so if you're shooting a really heavy arrow and, you know, it might penetrate whatever it hits, but if that deer's not standing there when that arrow gets there, then you're wasting your time. Uh, right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, how, how heavy and how, whatever your arrow is if the animal's not there. Uh, but our, And our animals are so fast that I, I ran into that issue because I went really heavy one year just to uh, – just to see, I was just curious, and uh, the animals I connected on, then yeah, I connected on them. You know, I got good penetration, but most of the animals I shot at that year, they were just they were they were gone. They were gone. I say most. It only happened a couple of times, and I said, "Forget this," and I lighted my arrows up <laughs> just to get just uh-huh. yeah, just to shorten that. Yeah, I mean, mine. Um, you know, I I haven't shot anything with a, with a trad bow. You know, I'm still trying to get my first down with a trad bow, but I'm setting up for like 15 yards and under. And yeah. it's like 15.6 grains per pound, which is like really heavy. You know, I know that, but I think I kind of ended up yeah. there and I, and I really liked like the minimal gap, you know, I'm kind of like gap stinctive, you know, feels good sight picture kind of shooter, you know, I can't, I'm not exact like gap aiming kind of thing. So, um, I, I'm really comfortable with that, with that trajectory and under 15 yards. I mean, it's super quiet too, you know, so I don't know. We'll, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm working on a, I do have a, a another bow that's, uh, that I've got a different um, setup for, and it ended up at like 470 grains or something like that. But I'm still working on the bow, and I'm not, you know, I'm not hunting with that this year because they're totally different flight flight paths, you know. And I don't want to confuse my brain. Um, the two bows Absolutely. that I'm hunting with now are like uh, shoot almost. Uh, they're not identical, but you know, they're 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 pretty close to one another. So um, I'm gonna wait till after season to pick up the other one and and try you know try the lighter arrow, but. Uh, um, so what, what are you, what are you shooting for an arrow? Yeah. Um, just on what you just said to me, the, the, based on what our animal, our white tail do, uh, I, I'd probably be leaning towards that 470 really? range, uh, based on your setup, you know, your 40 pound setup. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's just personal, like what I, how I like to set my stuff up. So, um, again, normally I am lighter than what I am this year. I'm shooting a, uh, I, I always like the uh, the micro diameter arrows. Uh, this year, uh, or I say this year, for the past several years, I've been shooting the Black Eagle Deep Impact arrows. Okay. Yep. Um, I, I forget the diameter, but they're they're the ones that are they're considered the micro diameters. Um, and uh, I forget what they are per inch, but uh, my overall setup mm-hmm. uh, is 530 grains and. Uh, last year I had it all the way down to I think 490 grains at a total out of, uh, yeah. and even, even with, um, when I was shooting 50 and 54 pounds, I like to be in the upper 400 grain area. 
just because of the speed because of our animals down here. Yeah, so about um, 10 grains per pound, basically, somewhere around there. Uh, yeah, some yeah. of my setups, I was shooting like 8 grains per pound. Wow, okay. But, uh, like, I, I, when I'm, and that's another, like, when I hunted, uh, I hunted mule deer uh, in 2015, and I was shooting, uh, I had a 53-pound bow, and I had a 400, I was shooting 471 grains out of a 53-pound bow. Okay. A 52-pound bow. And I was shooting 471 grains, but I was expecting to shoot long distance because it was high country, you know, uh, open, open country. And I was just expecting to have to shoot long distance. So I, I rigged up, uh, I, I rigged up, I made a arrow, um, or built an arrow to be really efficient. Uh, so anytime I go, now there's, there's a catch. I'm not just, I don't just go crazy light. If I go really, really light, I make sure that my FOC is really high. Yeah. So if I get down below and I'm like in the nine grains per pound or lower, uh, my mm-hmm. FOC is going to be like at least 21% or more. Yeah. Um, so when I got down to 471 grains, I think that year my FOC was at like 24%. Yeah. Um, how I got it set up. And I mean, I shot a, I shot a mule deer at 40 yards that year and the arrow buried to the fletching. So, and that was, again, totally backwards of what you hear most people talking about. Uh, but I, I set my arrow, I built my arrow based on the animal, based on the type of hunting that I was going to be doing. Yeah. Um, so if I was hunting elk, I would not have been shooting a 471 grain arrow out of a 52 pound bow more than likely. Um, the last elk I killed with a trad bow, it was a 54 pound uh, I mean, it was still light, but it was a 54-pound longbow I was shooting, and my overall arrow was 505 grains, if I remember right. Okay. And uh, I was like 20% FOC, 21% FOC, and uh, I shot that bull at 17, 16 or 17 yards, and uh, and that arrow buried buried to the fletching. Wow. And uh, uh, and obviously, you know, with any of that stuff, you're not hitting. You're, you're trying your best not to hit heavy bone. You know, that, that might change things. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, for where I hit, you know, I had, I had great results. Um, but I, I'm shooting the, uh, like this, this year I've been so busy with my, my taxidermy work. It really, really took off last year. Um, I grew like 30% one year. And so this past summer I've been just crazy busy. And so I was just, Honestly, I did not. I had to get new arrows built, but I did not have the time to really sit there and play with different grains and weights and do a lot of research on, uh, you know, the the different components to get me in the right areas, you know, weight ranges that I wanted to be at. So I just kind of I knew I liked the Black Eagle Deep, deep Impacts. You know, they performed for me really good in the past. Okay. All right. I think. <laughs> Yeah, you know, gotta get your money worth now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, folks, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty there. I didn't realize uh, we're doing a Skype phone call here, and I didn't realize Skype cuts you off at uh, almost well fifty something minutes here without without making you pay. I thought it was still free. So, anyway, uh, I think we were talking about your uh, we were talking about the deep impact, and uh, so what do you what are you running for a broadhead this year? Uh, I I've been shooting the Simmons Shark broadheads. And, yeah. uh, this year I'm shooting their new, uh, Swamp Shark. Uh, yeah, that's got my attention. 190 grains. Yeah. Oh. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Yep. 
Sorry, I, I thought it cut out. No, no, I said, yeah, you uh, got my attention so, with those swamp sharks, though. I was looking at those things. Oh, man, they're awesome. They're, it's the same profile as the tiger shark, uh, but they're uh, they're a little bit heavier uh, than what the tiger sharks are, and they're not venom. Right. Um, and I, I don't care. I have heard people complain about venom broadheads and make a whistling noise or whatever. Well, I mean, not the not the sound... I don't know the word that I'm looking for, but uh, not to sound like a jerk, I guess, but no, or, or, or arrogant or cocky or whatever, but none of the animals I ever shot with a vented broadhead seem to care about the noise too much. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. uh, like they, they're, they've been killing animals forever, and uh, I, I don't see, there's probably going to be a whole lot more noise issues coming from your bow or something than what the broadhead would be. Um, but I've, I've been using the uh, tiger sharks up until this past year when the swamp sharks first came out. And uh, when they came out, I was looking to go a little bit heavier on my broadhead anyway, mm-hmm. um, just because of uh, my my setup uh, that I was wanting to get. And it uh, just so happened that um, Simmons came out with that 190, yeah. and uh, which they're still a hair lighter than one. He advertises 190, but it's uh, there's a there's a grain. You know, I forget what it is, but there's a little bit of difference. It's a little, typically a little bit lighter. And, uh, but I mean, you're, you're not going to be able to tell the difference in that few amount of grains. I don't know what anybody says. No, um, no, no. Yeah. You know, nobody's that consistent. Um, and, and especially in hunting scenarios, you're just not going to. Um, but I've, I've shot. I've killed animals with a bunch of different broadheads, and the Simmons heads are the ones that I—they're—they're they're my go-to now. It's—they—they they put more blood on the ground and have bigger wound channels than uh, any of the other heads I've used. They penetrate great. They bust bone. Uh, I mean, they're—they're they're devastating. Uh, and because—and I know some people think that you—you know—people glorify the the blood trail and all this stuff and they get all hyped up over it. And one, yeah, but two. Uh, I, it's so thick down here that we have to, like, I have to get a lot of blood on the ground. Um, in fact, before I was shooting the Simmons, I shot a buck one time and the deer only went 60 yards and this is fixing to make me sound like I have no clue what I'm doing. Right. But uh, the, the, the deer, I shot him. It was per, he, he was, uh, I shot, he spun as I shot and I, I mean, I hit him perfect. He was quartered away, slipped in, uh, right basically halfway between his hip and the back of his ribs quartered away and angled in and hit his offside shoulder and so i never got an exit and the arrow was sticking out of the entry uh and the entry was going through the gut so you have basically gut matter plugging the entry hole yeah uh, but it's still full length vital vital i mean it's a good shot you're just not getting you know you don't have two blood two two holes to let blood out and uh well, the animal, he, it was on, this was on the edge of one of those really thick swamp bottoms. It was cypress trees, uh, and the undergrowth in those cypress trees was ragweed. I don't know if you know anything about ragweed, oh, yeah. uh, but it gets really, really thick. Uh, it was, it was ragweed, cypress knees, vines, uh, all just nasty stuff. Well, the deer only went 60 yards. I mean, I smoked him. He only went 60 yards. It was me, a cousin of mine, and my brother. We looked. For three straight days, we zigzagged all over that area, and I wound up finding that deer three days after I shot him. When I was, I walked in and I was like, "I know I killed that deer. Like I know, I know I killed that deer." And yeah. it was like, like 
aggravating me that I couldn't find this buck. And uh, I found him on the third day. We'd gone out and did this big loop. And uh, it was me and my cousin. We were walking back, and a buzzard flew up. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I walked <laughs> over, and I went. I was trying to, like, I say a buzzard flew up. Buzzards were in the area, so I knew the buck was dead. And so we were zigzagging, trying to figure out where these buzzards were actually hanging out. And I, I basically tripped over the skeleton of this buck. Oh, wow. And uh, and he, he literally only went 60 yards. And I'm, I consider myself a pretty dang good tracker (laughs) and it was but it's just so so thick in this stuff to where you know any there was no it wasn't a matter of getting blood on the ground it was early early season so it wasn't wet there was no moisture at all um it was all uh it was dry so there was no there's no like following footprints in the the dirt because it was uh cyber the the, cypress tree leaves it's real similar to like cedar or pine duff okay Um, you know, where it's like, like fluffy straw type stuff. So yep. there's no, it doesn't really leave tracks. Mm. And uh, plus you have all this other stuff growing up. And uh, anyway, because of that, I was like, yeah. And I'd already had a couple of mediocre blood trails with that broadhead. And again, I came from the compound world. So I shot fixed blades. And then the last year or two uh, is when expandables first came out. And I've been shooting the Spitfire Max. Mm-hmm. Expandable broadhead, and man, the blood trails on that thing was absolutely unreal. What, That's what a, I hear. expandable Spitfire yeah. Max does, like crazy. And so, my thoughts on it was, and and I grew up years shooting the old Thunderhead broadhead big blade, mm-hmm. and I was like, I know what a good blood trail looks like. There has got to be a fixed broadhead that's going to give me a blood trail that looks similar to a an expandable, and uh, like consistently. And, uh, and so anyway, I started, started, you know, venturing out, trying a bunch of different heads. And the first Simmons I ever used was one that, uh, a friend of mine let me borrow. It was a Simmons land shark. And I shot a hog at 12 yards and she was, she was actually pregnant. I was a 190 pound sow and I shot her right in front of her left hip and it came out right through, um, through through the center of her chest where my broadhead was actually sticking out level with her nose. Oh, wow. Um, like, it, it slipped out that far. And, man, it looked like a crime scene. It was, yeah. like she only went 15 yards, but in that 15 yards, it was just, it was like a massacre happened in there. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, good night. And uh, so I grabbed that broadhead and I started, I killed a couple of deer with it. And every animal I killed, that's how it was. It was just this massive blood trail. I've only had a few broadhead like few shots that i've made with the simmons where there wasn't just some crazy broadhead uh, or i'm sorry some crazy blood trail and typically that was because of you know a scenario where you had gut plug in the hole or i didn't get an exit or um uh, or something like that but even on the holes where uh, you know there was a, a gut there like i was still having more matter uh whether it was gut matter blood mm-hmm. whatever i was having more sign on the ground with those heads than I was any of the other heads. And, I, and I'm not, I know it sounds like I'm plugging Simmons and, and I, yeah, I am, but I, it's just honest, honest to goodness truth. You know, that's, that's what, that was my journey. And that's the reason why I, uh, I started hunting with those heads. Oh, no, I, just, I, mean, it's, I, I, it's, I couldn't get away from them. It's what I hear from, from pretty much anybody that shoots those heads. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, um, I, I can't, I can't remember the name of the guy, the other, there's another, um, Louisiana bow hunter, 
he's got a channel too. Um, God, I can't remember his, his name right now, but uh, he shoots everything with with Simmons, you know, various Simmons ones. And any, it's just yeah, like you said. I mean, it's it's they seem to leave like these these devastating like even entry holes, you know, much less uh, exit holes. Too, oh yeah, and entry, just, uh, yeah, entry exit. <laughs> it's the the concave concave blade. Uh, they leave a hole typically. It's like fifty percent larger than what the actual cutting diameter of the broadhead is. Right. Uh, because the just because the way it cuts, it like the, that initial the tip relaxes the skin yes. uh, as it slides in, and then the the wings of the blade uh, actually hit this relaxed skin, and it causes it to like pop open like a rubber band. Yeah. It's just brutal, man. It's it's nasty. Like. I, I, a lot of the stuff I have to be careful when I post because I'm like I'm gonna get censored. Like they're gonna not allow me to post this stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But Man. anyway, so that's the broadhead I shoot. I have a hard time getting away. I, I, um, I, I shoot I shoot Simmons, uh, and I've tried every Simmons that they make. Um, so I, I I use any of them, but the one I'm currently using is the Swamp Shark, uh, and then I like. Three fletch four inch uh, feathers, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, and then like I said, my current setup is 530 grains, and I have no clue what my FOC is right now. I just I bare shaft tune, and once I got that arrow where it was tuned, uh, bare shaft, I put feathers on there and rolled with it. I, like I said, I I've been so busy, I didn't have time to sit there and really focus on all the details of it. I just got an arrow that tuned good with my bow, and, and I've been hunting with it so far. Well, I mean those details are like 90% more than what a lot of people do, you know, um, you know, they kind of scoff at the whole like bear shaft tuning kind of thing, which just boggles my mind, you know, how, how you couldn't want your uh, arrow to no, fly it to fly. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, like, you know, a geek, a geek out about that kind of stuff, but no, that's, I mean, that sounds, you, you, I mean, you obviously have the track record. I mean, I was, I saw just the other day, uh, you posted, what is it like, uh, hog 48 and 49 and 50 or something like that. Um, I think you, you shot a couple recently as well. Yeah, the beginning of this week, I killed I killed three hogs in three days. Jeez, and uh, it was one one on Saturday, and then I shot two two on Monday, back to back. As that was kind of funny, I walked into a there was a herd there, and they 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 heard me, and they shuffled up into a bunch of it, we had a right where I was. It was a cane break, uh, some river cane, mm-hmm. and they all ran up into that river cane, and I could see the body of one. And so I shot it, and it was like a 16-yard shot. And I shot it. When I shot, that brush just exploded. Pigs went everywhere. And uh, and I'd already I had enough instances with pigs and big groups like that. But by the time my arrow was gone, I was already knocking another arrow. Yep. And uh, another big sow comes running right out of the brush. And she paused just just for a split second at 20 yards, and she should not have done that. <laughs> so I was like, I had I had one already flopping on my right side, like kicking her, like it, it crashed literally to my right, and while that one was still crashing, I put an arrow through another one, and it ran off. So within a few seconds, I had hogs on both sides of me crashing around. Beautiful. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Beautiful. Well, uh, we're, we're, we're over an hour now. Um, I guess... Uh, we can kind of move on to um, your your business here. I don't want to, you know, go like like too long tonight. I want to be kind of respectful here. It's almost almost ten o'clock for us, but um, you know, t- tell me about your taxidermy business. I mean, you you recently you said you recently started that. It used to be a hobby, and then you you dove into it headlong. I mean, was that 
kind of a scary venture to kind of go out on your own or yeah it uh it, it was uh <laughs> it was interesting um so it was actually my my first job uh i worked for a tax service uh from the time i was 15 um until i graduated college i worked for a tax service and i was doing all the grunt work so i prepped i skint uh you know caped out deer uh prepped the hides um i did skull mounts i did some of the clay work but if it was the if it was the not fun part of taxidermy, that's what I did for seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like just the dirty, nasty stuff. And I actually had a buddy uh, in college. He was like, man, are you going to make a career out of that? And I said, heck no. <laughs> and at the time, it was, uh, uh, you know, because all I was doing, I wasn't doing the fun stuff. I was doing the dirty work, you know, where I, I'm, I'm like bloody every day. And it was just, uh, that sounds terrible. Flesh, like, you know, flesh your hands, and eyes. You're just working with bloody, like raw skin all the time. Yeah. It's just not, not enjoy. I still hate that part of it, but you know, every job has its parts that you don't like. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I I did it for seven and a half years. And, uh, like I said, through college, well, I I have a, uh, I have a marketing degree. And, uh, and when I got out of, uh, when I graduated college, I told the guys, Hey man, I'm gonna, basically I'm, I'm quitting. I'm fixing to go try to use my degree, you know? Uh, try to find something and actually get to the business world. Uh, so I started, uh, I went to work at an internet marketing uh, firm where I was managing internet marketing campaigns. Uh, and I was stuck in a uh, building, a sky rise down in, in downtown Shreveport uh, in a cubicle, and I hated it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, totally not my personality or anything, but that, you know, I was using my degree. And, uh, and then I was there for a little bit, and then I wound up getting into the oil field. And I, cause that's real big. Uh, real big in North North Louisiana or Louisiana in general, but especially in the Freeport Bossier area at the time, the Haynesville Shell was really kicking off, and the gas industry was booming. And uh, so I got started working for some supply store, a supply store. And um, anyway, during that time, uh, somebody asked me about working on a deer, and uh, or I'd killed one, or my dad, or somebody. And so I started. Uh, when I worked for that guy, I only mounted two deer while I worked for him. Like I said, all I was doing was prep work. Yeah. And uh, I only mounted two of my own deer while I worked for him. And uh, then, the uh, like I said, I started having people ask me to do their stuff on the side. And I was like, man, I don't really do it. I'll I'll see what I can do. You know, I'll I'll, I'll yeah. If you if you want me to just play around with it, then sure, I'll I'll do it. And uh, and so that's kind of what started it. Is I started doing like one and two whether it was mine or my dad's or, you know, somebody that I knew or a buddy. And then all of a sudden their buddy told their buddy and then their buddy told their buddy. <laughs> and before long, it got to the point where I was doing like a minimum of 10 deer a year. Yeah. And the like the three to four years leading up to um, my actual going full time, I was doing 30 deer a year on the side oh, uh, while I was still old. And, uh, so like I was working, um, uh, you know, I, I got to where I was a, uh, I was a technical salesman where I was, you know, working closely with the engineers doing, um, uh, actuated ball valves, you know, pneumatic control panels, safety systems, helping design safety systems and, um, uh, sizing relief valves and all this stuff. And, and then I was doing all this technical stuff on computers during the day and sell and, and, you know, doing straight or regular sales, like inside sales type work 
while doing all that technical stuff. And then in the afternoons, I was coming home in Mountain Deer. And, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty well-rounded well uh, person. Like, what? That's, that's a pretty well-rounded uh, person. Yeah, like I was, I was in the middle. Like I did everything, and uh, it was, it was funny because a, a couple of job interviews I had that I was trying to get hired. I was like, "Look, I can do anything," uh, and they just looked at me crazy. And I was like, "Look, I've done, I've set cubicles and managed internet marketing campaigns. I can do taxidermy work. Like I just need you. Just need to give me, like, show me what I need to do and give me time to learn it, and I can do it." Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that, I think has gotten me uh, it's gotten me a job or two over the years uh because <laughs> but um anyway so now i'm um like i said i was just doing taxidermy on the side and then when uh, at the time me and my uh my girlfriend uh i started getting serious and you know i was starting to look at rings and things like that i was like man i'm fixing to have to, i need to start picking up just taking in more business this is fixing to get pricey yeah <laughs> So we we started getting serious. Uh, I started I started taking in more. And, uh, like I said, I was doing around thirty a year uh, for the last several years. And honestly, my my job in the oil field uh, industry kind of started going downhill. It's a really volatile industry anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like it's like wide open, like full tilt, or it's, it's kind of poking along. And you know, there would be layoffs, and you never knew whether you were going to be the one laid off or you know, it was just, you know, you go feeling really stable to, you know, a few months later, you're like, man, am I even going to have a job tomorrow? And uh, and so that that was not cool. It was really frustrating. You know, obviously everybody likes or wants stability. And uh, and then not to mention, I just started having some issues where, uh, I guess just to put it nicely, as I, I got where I was not enjoying my job. I'll just leave it like yep, that. Yep. And I uh, just started going downhill. And, I, and so I kind of tossed, tossed the idea around it uh, about starting my business. And uh, like I said, I, I'm not to not to bring anything up that you know that nobody wants to talk about or people don't like to talk about. I don't I don't know your beliefs or anything like that. But um, any, I was mowing my yard one day, and uh, clear as day, uh, God talked to me and literally interrupted what I was doing. And he told me. He said, name your business, New Life Taxidermy. It was almost as audible of a voice as I've ever heard. Really? And, that, that's, uh, how you, that's how you came up yeah. with it? Or that's how you were, you were told to come up with it, I guess? New what now? I, I said, so that's how you, you, you came up with it, the name. Or you were told to come up with it, I guess. Yeah, like I was yeah. mowing my yard. I wasn't thinking about taxidermy. I wasn't thinking, you know, you start doing something like mowing your yard and like your brain kind of clears where you're not really thinking about anything. Yeah. And uh, like you're just mowing. And that's what I was doing. I was just mowing. Like, I could walk you out in the yard and show you what tree I was making a circle around. And, and it was like, just interrupted me to the point where I stopped mowing. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> and, uh, but it was just as clear as day, you know, and I've been, uh, over the past several months, I'd start, I'd been applying at different companies and like places that I should have, but I was more than qualified for. Like, the doors just kept shutting on. And, um, you know, like shoe in type positions that I just wasn't, I wasn't getting getting the job type situation I'm like what is going on and uh so i was a little down on all that well like i said i was mowing the yard and just clear as day it, it came to me name your business new life tax term and i was like my business i don't have a business you know like this like and that, that, that was that was my response i don't have a business and then i got to thinking i was like new life tax that's a legit taxidermy name like that's a really cool business that is yeah. and i started looking and and there was no 
nobody uh, on Facebook, nobody on Instagram. There was there's one person in like North Carolina, maybe it's somewhere up closer to you. Uh, there's a new life taxidermy up in the Northeast, and uh, and so on, and they have a Facebook page. But so when I grabbed my Facebook page, I had to name my Facebook page Carson's New Life Taxidermy. Oh, okay, uh, but for for like Instagram, it's just New Life Taxidermy. Uh, and my business is just new life taxidermy, but I had to I had to se- separate it with Carson's new life taxidermy yeah. on Facebook because of that. But anyway, it was a it was an open domain. There wasn't any it wasn't used. Um, so I was like, all right, well let me uh, let me roll with this. You know, I, I have I have some sort of direction that I didn't have before. Let me see what happens. So uh, I I got a uh, made a logo, got a logo made, and uh, got some business cards made up and started advertising in 2017 and August of 2017 um, God talked to me in May of 2017 August of 2017 that's when I finalized got my business cards together and I started putting business cards in uh, all the local meat processors right before the uh, the season kicked off and I, and I started advertising I put some previous pictures of you know work that I've done I put it out on social media you know, started advertising in August of 2017. Well, by by December of 2017, I knew I already had enough work to quit my job. Wow, uh, which, that's amazing. So the, the very first the very first year, I took in uh, around a hundred. By the time deer season was over with, I took in a hundred. I had 108 shoulder mounts my first year to advertise. Oh my. Uh, that does not include any of the other odds like your bobcats and uh, you know stuff like that. And at the time, I was not taking in any birds. It was just strictly shoulder mounts. That that also does include skulls. Uh, well, like halfway through the following summer, I had taken I had that 108 had jumped up to like 120 and uh, and or 118 something like that. And uh, and so that was my first my first year. So the following May, so basically, God talked to me. May 2017, May 2018, I quit my job. And, uh, and, and is it, it just you? Strict. Is it just you doing all this all this work, or do you have any do you have any help? No, I'm I'm by myself. Wow! And, uh, no wonder I couldn't brutal. I couldn't pin you down for this for this interview. It took forever. Right. That's, that's what I like. I don't what people what I tell people like. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll help you, or yeah, I'll do this, but I, I'll get back to you. I can't promise you when I will, but I, I'm I'm really busy. Like, I don't think I can express to people how busy I stay. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, I'm, I'm really active. Uh, even outside of my business, I, I stay really active, um, you know, with my church and things like that as well. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't let the grass grow under my feet by any means. Um, no, you're, you're, anyway, you're a man on the move. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always going. Uh, this last season, I took in, I ran 150 shoulder mounts. Like I grew like 30% my second year, wow. and we're fixing to get into my uh, my third my third year season to advertise us. You know we're uh, we're in it right now. So uh, things have been awesome, man. I uh, I was I was pretty stressed out at first because that first year I was working two full time jobs. Uh, you know I was working working in the oil field for 10 hours 10 hours a day at least. And then I would come home and do taxidermy work till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and then get up. I uh, would do taxidermy work before daylight. Then I would clean up and go to work, work 10 hours, come home, yeah. work till midnight, one o'clock again. And I did that 
you know, all deer season. And then uh, finally, like I said, I, I, I was like, all right, uh, something's got to give one or one or the other. So uh, I jumped out and said, let's see what happens with this. And here I am. We're still still doing it, still going along. I I, I love hearing that. I love uh, I love an entrepreneurial like success story. You know what I mean? That uh, that, that makes yeah. Me, yeah that that makes me uh, that makes me happy. So um, before we get off here, I want to ask you one one question. Um, what what is the number one thing that people should not do before they bring before they bring you um, you know a hide? or an animal? Like, what is the number one mistake that, that hunters make that makes your job harder? Uh, the, one of the biggest issues people have, it's not cutting the animal up. Obviously, if you're going to skin something out, the more you leave, the better. You know, you, you're always better to have too much than not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you might would think that people cut things too short. That I get a couple of highs a year that are too short, but that is not the main issue. The main issue I have is people just not taking care of their animals. Are they just expecting hides don't go bad uh, very quickly? Uh, and where you're at, you're probably, you don't run into the issues that I have down here in the south. Like, once, once winter hits in Minnesota, uh, that's where you're at, right? Minnesota, yep, yep, yep. It's an outside freezer. Yeah, so what? <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, so once, once winter hits, winter is there. Yeah. Uh, Louisiana, we have like two days of winter and then uh, three days of summer and then two days of winter. You know, it's like it's all over the place. And uh, and so the issues that I have and anybody, basically don't don't keep it in a cooler in the back of your truck. Uh, don't drive around and show your friends all day and then decide to bring it somewhere. Uh, you know, it's get it, get it cleaned. And put get it frozen if possible as soon as possible. And if you can't get it frozen, get it somewhere cold, dry, and get it to your taxidermist. Get it to somebody who can freeze it ASAP. Because uh, the problem is a lot of times people will they'll they'll put it in a cooler, like even a walk-in cooler for like three days, four days, and think that that's going to be okay. And sometimes it is. That's the problem. And sometimes it is okay. But other times I'll get the animal. And it's going to act perfectly fine. And whatever, during those few days in that cooler, the, the decomp process kind of gets started, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you start having bacteria growth. And so that doesn't start showing its ugly face until a little bit further into my process. So I'll, I'll, I do my, my deer in, in batches where I'll have multiple deer at once. And then all of a sudden, uh, I've had like one, one deer start slipping. And I'm like, what is the deal? And you start talking to the customer, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I killed it. It, it was a couple of days before I got it in the freezer. You know, we had it in a walk-in cooler. You know, instances like that. So the biggest thing is if you know you're going to mount that deer, uh, I know you want to show it off, but get it get it frozen, get it somewhere ASAP, and then get it to your taxidermist. Let your taxidermist skin it out and ask your taxidermist if you can take your horns and show it off after he's got the cape frozen. <laughs> like, don't, don't, don't go show it off you actually get it frozen that's the biggest issues because any almost any slippage issues i've had uh, over the over the years has been people who just they just didn't take care of their their hides now slippage is when uh, uh, the hair pulls out right yeah so the outer membrane of the skin of the, of the epidermis starts starts to decay and the hair will just fall out okay okay uh, and and sometimes sometimes it's metal 
might have a little a little spot that might look like a scar. You might be able to hide it. Uh, sometimes you can hide it all together and you just wouldn't know. In other instances, it's in like very prominent places, like on the nose, around the eyes, or something like that. Yeah. You know, you have to make that decision. Do I want to try to save this hide, or do we need to look for another cape? And obviously, you you want the original cape with the animal. Um, but that's that's the issue that I have with most customers. That if if they're going to screw something up, they didn't get it to me fast enough. Um, and Another thing is try to keep it dry. They'll throw it in an ice chest with ice. And oh. if you're going to do that, that's fine. It needs to be cold. But try to bag it or double bag it where when that ice starts melting, you don't have water running and that hide's not just sitting in cold water all the time. Uh, because water, it, moisture, you know, that bacteria, bacteria grows yeah. even if it is cold. Cool. Well, awesome, man. Um I, I appreciate your time tonight, Harmon. Uh, this was uh, this this was really really good. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long long time. I follow your channel. I follow you know your your Instagram kind of stuff, and I, I live vicariously through all your awesome uh, all your all your awesome bow kills. So <laughs> um, I appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I hope. Uh, but I didn't take too much of your time. I oh, feel no. like I talk too much sometimes. No, no, no. <laughs> that's 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 a perfect guess. It's less talking I got to do. So, um, I guess tell everybody where they can, they can find you. New Life Taxidermy pretty much everywhere. Or? Yeah, so I'm uh, New Life New Life Taxidermy on Instagram, on Facebook. It's Carson's New Life Taxidermy. Um, those are the only two. I, I just do social media for my for my business. Yeah, and on um, YouTube. I don't have a website or anything like that. So. And then you're Bayou, it's Bayou Bowhunter, right, on, uh, on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. Right, so for, for my bowhunting stuff uh, on Instagram, uh, it's Bayou Bowhunter. Actually, on all of Instagram, Facebook, and, and YouTube is Bayou Bowhunter. Uh, and those are those are my bow hunting accounts. I have other personal accounts, but it's just, you know, me and my family type thing. But as mm-hmm. far as hunting, uh, it's Bayou Bowhunter, and that's... Those are the those are the places if if you want to see uh, gore gore pictures that's where I'm gonna post <laughs> them. I'm not gonna put them on my family stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Well, why don't you hang on with me uh, while I close up here? So, um, I guess uh, you know, th- yeah. th- thanks th- thanks for joining me. Um, thanks uh, for tuning in, everybody. For um, I hope Carmen, I hope yeah, I hope Harmon's interview was uh was was good because i I definitely you know enjoyed it and i hope you guys got uh, something out of it definitely go check out um his youtube channel he's got some incredible hunts uh he gets in really really close with uh with 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 most of these deer he's you know and he's a he's a pretty damn good shot too so um and uh the bow hunting soul stuff uh go ahead you know go check out the facebook uh group uh youtube page and um you know if you like this podcast you know please leave a rating uh ratings are really really important so we actually get picked up uh you know and distributed more and uh i will talk to you guys next week thanks for joining